0: All right. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that we can come together to worship you. We can be in person to worship you. Lord, we want to give you praise. And Lord, we want to give you this time. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord, as we get into your word. May it be your words that speak into our hearts, our minds. And as a church, Lord God, we pray your message would transform us to be vessels for you. We give this time to you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. How many of you can relate to a scenario like this? Uh, You're outside of a Christian setting, outside a church setting. Maybe it's at work or at school with friends, whomever. And you're having just regular, normal, comfortable conversations, right? Everything's fine. It's just routine. But then for some reason, topic comes up, conversation comes up that you're a Christian or you go to church. And at that moment, you can just sense the mood and the conversation changes that comes up and then all of a sudden the mood or the tone of the conversation changes it gets a little tense have you been in those moments it's like you can cut the mood with a knife you know what i mean and for whatever reason, maybe like the, 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 the mood changes, all of a sudden someone finds a reason. You know what, they kind of move on. You know what, I, I, I got to go. Or you know what, um, uh, oh, look at the time. Or they change the subject quickly. I don't know if you all can relate to situations like that. On a number of occasions, I've had moments of conversations with somebody. It's all fine and normal. And then maybe they'll ask, oh, what do you do for a living? Or what, you know, when I was working at uh, Amazon and work, working at other places, what did you do before you were in this situation? And the top would come up, oh, I was a pastor, or oh, I'm a pastor. And at that moment, the mood changes. The tone changes. For some people, they like they, they try to react very politely. They don't say anything. And maybe they kind of change the subject. Some of them are kind of a little nervous, they don't know how to respond. They didn't, certainly didn't expect that kind of response. Some have gotten kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of funny, a little comical when, when I, I tell somebody, oh, I'm a pastor, or I, I was a pastor, you know, before the job that I had at that time, and some get so uncomfortable that it's almost like I can see them have a, a, like a movie flashback moment you know what I'm talking about? You watch those movies and people get flashbacks and it's like the scene changes where everything comes of a blur and it brings them back to a certain time in, in the past. It's like when I have a conversation like that with them, I can just sense them have a flashback moment and they go back to a certain experience. Maybe it's of church. Maybe it's of an experience they've had with other Christians or conversation or experience that they had. Some have been in this, that had this reaction where they get so uncomfortable when they find out I'm a pastor. It's as if they kind of like they feel like they're in a confessional booth. A booth. I have that moment with them, and they're like, "Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, wow." And they start to tell me, like, "Oh, you know what? It's been a long time since I've been going to church. I haven't gone to church in a while." And they get all nervous. And they t- begin to tell me of like you know yeah I haven't been to church in a while and oh yeah you know what uh, I got to go back to church and it's like they have this moment. I don't know if you can relate to situations like that where you've had conversations and it comes up that you're a Christian or you go to church and people start to get uncomfortable. I used to have what's called a tow truck ministry. Like what's a tow truck ministry? We used to have so many car problems. We'd had, we used to have, like, our cars had to get towed so many times that I ended up being in conversation with all these tow truck drivers because, you know, they're towing our truck and, or towing our car, and back then you can go into the cab with them. And so all you're doing is just you're in the cab with this tow truck driver. And so you end up kind of having conversation. And so, you know, God would present an opportunity where I get to just share the Lord with them. You can't go anywhere. (laughs) We're just stuck in a car and we're just driving along. But maybe you can relate to experiences where you've been in conversation with somebody and that topic comes up and the mood changes a bit. Maybe they get a little uncomfortable, a little bit nervous. And a lot of times that happens because they have this flashback moment. They go back to a memory, past memory of maybe when they used to go to church or their past experiences with, quote-unquote, Christians? Did they have a good experience? Or did they have a regrettable one? Was it encouraging or was it threatening? Was it hopeful or was it hateful? In my time and conversations with people, again, maybe you can relate to this. Most of the people that I've had in conversation with who struggle either struggle with their faith or they reject Christianity, they reject Jesus, most of the time it's because they've had bad experiences in church. Can you all relate? Have you heard? Is this something uncommon? If you know people who used to go to church and no longer go to church, if you talk with them, why? A lot of times it's because they've had bad experiences. For young people, particularly, I say young people because a lot of the younger ones usually sit here, but you could be all back there. Whatever qualifies you as young, old, whatever it may be. If you talk to people who have struggled with their faith or they've wrestled with it and they no longer go to church, most of the time it's because they've had bad experiences. A lot of time it's because they saw hypocrisy. People claim to believe something, but they don't live by it. What does that have to do with our study today? We've been looking at our witness. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12. We're almost done. Next week, I'm going to summarize it all up. But this week, we're looking at our witness. As a church, can we be a shining witness in this dark world, in the darkness around us? Can we be like a lighthouse? You know what a lighthouse does. A lighthouse is that light, that beacon of light for the ships who are in the storm, who the ships are out in the seas to find safe haven, to find a harbor. Can we be a light for those who are out in the seas, they're being tossed around and they need somewhere safe? Can we be that shining witness So we're going to continue in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to there. We're going to particularly look at verses 9, 14, 17 through 21. Because those verses really speak to us as a witness to all people. right? Primarily, we've been focusing on us as a church. How we are together as brothers and sisters in Christ. How we are together as a church within our church body. But now we need to talk about extending beyond our church. Beyond our circles of brothers and sisters in Christ. Beyond those who are either not Christian, unbelievers, or struggling with their faith. Okay? So a shining witness. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I'll stop right there for a second. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now we talked about the first part of this verse about letting our love be without hypocrisy. Within our church walls, the expectation of us, how we relate to each other, should be like a family, ideal family, right? We should have an expectation that we were to love each other like we do with family. There's this instinctual bond with each other. We're going to put each other above ourselves. We're going to look out for each other's interests. That should be our expectation as brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's what, look at the second part of the verse. It says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate despise what is evil, cling to what is good. There used to be a general acceptance of what is good and evil. There used to be a general acceptance, okay, you know, we may differ on some things, but this is clearly good, this is clearly evil. Is that so today? If you go based on society, the dividing line that society draws, you, may, you can find that that line between what is good and evil is constantly shifting, isn't it? You can say, you can describe it as that line between good and evil is fading, It's blurring. Where nowadays, what is good and what is considered evil? But this is not a new phenomenon. This is nothing new about humanity. Where society tries to draw the line what is good and what is evil. Check this out in in Isaiah 5.20. God warned Israel of this very problem. He tells Israel, "Woe to those!" When it says "woe," you know what it means to say "woe." We don't say "woe" anymore, right? Unless it's just like "woe," that's crazy. "Woe" is like a warning, a strong warning. God's warning Israel: "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." Have you ever done that before when you're cooking? You mistaken salt with sugar. I don't know if you've ever done that. When you've done it, does it taste the same? Of course not. There's a difference between sweet and salty, sweet and bitter. There's a difference between good and evil. God was warning Israel, be careful for those of you who are saying what is evil is good and what is good, evil. See, if you remove God's standard from what is good and what is evil, what do you have left with? Society's defining good and evil, it just becomes a practice of comfort. It becomes a practice of personal convenience. If it's comfortable for you, if it doesn't cause any uncomfortable feelings for you, then it must be good. It's okay. But if you don't like it, if it causes you to feel uncomfortable about what you're doing, then oh, then that must be evil, right? Right? See, if we leave the definition of what is good and evil in man's hands, what happens? It's a sliding scale. The line gets blurred. It becomes individual desire and comfort. History of humanity tells us if it's left unchecked, if God just takes a step back, he says, let's humanity do, runs a course, what is it going to be like? The history of humanity tells us Left unchecked, we will become more violent, more deviant, more immoral. If you want examples, go back to before the law was established. In the Old Testament, you had the law, he, God gave the law to the Israel. Before that, in the time of Noah, what was it like? Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Imagine that for a second. Right in the days of Noah, this was before the law, before God gave any, any law, ten commandments. People lived their life. And it got to a point that every thought in man's heart was continuously evil. He goes on to say, verse 11 and 12, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. That is what happens when man is left alone to decide what is good and what is evil. Matthew 24 12 Jesus declared in the last days because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold As we're reading these descriptions I want you to kind of take a look and look around society today does this look like the world we're living in now Jesus says lawlessness is increased and most people's love will grow cold We're seeing lawlessness increase aren't aren't we Retail stores, particularly in a lot of major cities, are having a difficult time. Why? People are just looting, they're taking it, and they're going, and they're, they're being left unprosecuted. Leaving them feeling like they can do whatever they want. They are above the law. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1-5, Paul declares, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Is this not describe our society today? It describes it to a T. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. We're living in a very boastful, arrogant time ungrateful, unloving, disobedient to parents, irreconcilable, malicious gossip. We're living in a time of malicious gossip. Social media is a form for malicious gossip. So as this describes to a t, look what Paul says about abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. That's not a gray area statement. That's a very clear statement. So as we consider our witness to other people, believers and especially unbelievers alike, those who are struggling with their faith, we need to understand this statement before we talk about anything else about being a witness. We need to hold this true: abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, hold on to what is good. I think a lot of us today, we've 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 lost the sense of being horrified by evil. Don't you? Aren't you? don't you think so? We've become desensitized to what we consider as evil. We get used to it. I got to admit, I'm, I'm used to things. You see horrible acts and we look at it and we're like, man, yep, that's just what it is today. Perhaps even we've entertained ourselves too much with Evil. We've entertained ourselves with so many other things that are not good that we're desensitized and it just becomes amusement to us. What does he say? Instead, instead, hey, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Cement yourself to what is good. Don't let it go, don't lose sight of it. When you're talking about your witness to somebody, the foundational thing is, is, look, I need to make sure, regardless of my environment, I'm going to hold on to what is good. Even when everybody else around me doesn't believe so. I'm going to cling to what is good. Why? Because we have to be a contrast. We have to contrast from the rest of the world. We have to give people a reason why God's standard is good. We have to give people a reason for hope that, look, whatever the world offers is not the answer. It's not the hope you're looking for. And here is why. Now, is that easy? Of course not. It's not going to be easy, is it? How many of you have tried? You've tried to stand out amongst your friends. They wanted to do something, and you say, you know, I know I don't want to do that. I don't do that. And then what happens? You feel this internal conflict inside you. But I want you. I want to feel included. I want to feel a part of it. Maybe you get external conflict. Others are looking down at you. They, they ostracize you. They don't invite you anymore to their things. They, they look down on you. Or they consider you as, oh, you're one of those judgmental types. We're going to face conflict. Why? Because we're standing for God's standard. It's not our standards. It's not Christians. Christians didn't come together and make rules. It's like, look, we're going to stand up for God and His standard. Because ultimately we stand before God and we, be, we will be judged by God. Our bosses aren't going to be in eternity in judgment with us or judging us. Our friends won't be, society won't be, social media will not be. We're going to stand before God. So how do we do this? What do we reflect to the world around us? How do we shine? He goes on and saying in verse 14, He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Notice the contrast here. He says, bless. In other words, ask for God's blessing upon those who wish harm upon you. Instead of wishing evil upon somebody, pray for God's blessing on those who persecute you. Those who come down on you. Now, let's be honest. When things happen to us, when people do things to us, how many of us feel like it's much easier to curse them, right? That feels more natural when something's done wrong to us. When we've been wronged, we, are, we naturally want to, like, curse, curse them. I don't know if you can relate to this, when you're driving on the freeway... I used to feel like when I'm driving the freeway, the lane that I'm in is my lane. (laughs) This is my lane. And when someone cuts you off, do you feel like, I hope they rot in hell. All right, maybe that's extreme. Maybe you don't say that. But maybe you go, you, you have thoughts that you shouldn't have. But maybe someone does something more personal to you. Maybe your thoughts and feelings towards them is a little bit closer to that. You've been wronged. You face persecution at work. You feel like you have enemies around you. Instead of wishing evil upon someone, he's saying pray for God's blessing on them. If someone cuts you off, now, I'm going to be honest. I need to practice what I preach, okay? So I'm not saying this because I arri- arrived there. Someone cuts you off instead of getting upset? God, protect them while they drive. Get them there safely. Help them not to cut anybody else. Maybe even me too. <laughs> but when you're being wrong, you're being persecuted, do you pray for those who are opposing you? What if we can pray for God to intervene in people's life? One thing might, there's not just one thing, but all my kids have taught me this. They've humbled me. All three of my kids growing up have had experiences where kids' classmates their age gave them a hard time. They did something to them that was pretty cruel. And in me as a father, being protective, I wanted to say, you know what? Forget them. Did you punch them? No, I'm just kidding. Don't be their friends anymore. Don't be around them anymore. But one of the things they taught me, they didn't easily do that. Each and every one of my kids, they still try to be kind to them they still tried to be good friends to them. And in many occasions, maybe it was a year later, or maybe whatever time, those people came around or saw that they were good to them and became friends with them. And that humbled me because as a protective father, I wanted to say forget them. But do we pray, do we ask for God's blessing on even those who oppose us But see, too too often our reaction is to want to get even, don't we? We want to get even. We want revenge. Look what Paul says in 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. We're talking about our witness to those around us. Witness to all people, particularly those who do not know the Lord. Particularly to those who are struggling with their faith. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Well, what if someone did something wrong? You know, they did something evil to me. Nope. What if they did something really, really bad to me, Pastor Mike? Nope. Well, Paul's saying here there is never an occasion for us to do evil upon somebody else. And that may be hard. But what is he saying? He says respect, or that word for respect, basically it says to perceive before, foresee. In other words, think beforehand what is right in the sight of all men. Instead of getting back, he says, think beforehand what you ought to do. How should you respond? Because see, our initial reaction is to get back. But we all know, how many have been in this situation, someone wronged you, they know you're a Christian, they know you go to church, and all eyes are on you. And they're looking. How's Johnny going to respond? How's she going to respond? Ooh, you were wronged. What you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to get him back? Someone, oh, look what they posted on about you. Are you going to get them back? Eyes are watching us. How we're going to respond. Paul says, think beforehand what is right in the sight of all men. How should we respond in the situation? When we're wronged, we reflexively react to defend ourselves, right? Right? When we've been wronged, we want to defend ourselves, but oftentimes that self defense comes at the expense of somebody else, right? When we're wronged, we want to defend ourselves, but a lot of times we defend ourselves by getting back at somebody. But we need to learn to think before we act, right? This goes full circle when we talked about about months ago about letting the Word of God renew our minds, change our minds. Change how we think, how we respond, how we act. When you're facing those situations, when people are mocking you, making fun of you, persecuting you, you know, coming against you as a Christian, you need to take a moment to think how should I respond? How should I act? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 43, what, to what? Love who? your enemies, pray for your enemies. Because he says, look, it's easy to be nice to everybody who's nice to you, right? It's easy to be good to people who aren't threatening to you, but Jesus challenges us to do the extra step. Love your enemies, show them love, and pray for them. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If it's at all possible, if it's in your power, be at peace with all men. Now, this is particularly relevant today, isn't it? Aren't we living in very divisive times? A lot of conflicts. A lot of conflicts could be about politics, race, education, Income, masks, vaccine, faith, all these kind of things. There's some reason to divide people. And it's so difficult to find peace, peacemakers in the world we're living in. I've told my kids this. You cannot control how people respond. You cannot control how people react. You cannot control how people feel. You can only control how you respond. How you react in situations. Someone refuses to be at peace with you. Someone insists on being in conflict with you. If at all possible, work to be at peace with all people. Try to maintain that peace with them. Why? Because even Christians today, we label as divisive. We want to divide people. We want to be hateful. But I think we've lost the sense of, okay, we can disagree. We can stand up for what is right for God. But it doesn't mean I have to be in constant conflict with you. It doesn't mean that I can't be at peace with you. We believe differently. Drastic beliefs differently. But I'm not going to cause conflict with you. If you have conflict with me, I can't control that. But I don't want to be... conflict with you it doesn't mean we endorse what they believe in it doesn't mean we have to accept what they believe in but i'm not going to be in conflict with you paul goes on to say never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord but if your enemy is hungry feed him and if he is thirsty give him drink for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head What's Paul saying in these verses? He's not saying it's okay, injustice is not okay. He's not talking about turning a blind eye to wrongdoing. What Paul's saying is do not take it upon yourself to get revenge. Don't take revenge. Rather, instead, Paul quotes Proverbs 25, 21-22, where it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, what does that mean? What's the whole deal about burning coals on, on his head? There's different interpretations of this passage. It's not fully certain about what Paul is referring to and what Proverbs is referring to. Some look at this as like the burning coals represents judgment upon somebody. So that your kindness is kind of like judgment upon someone who's doing wrong to you. And perhaps maybe that judgment or that sense of guilt will maybe possibly change them. Or that will be their judgment. Some take that interpretation. Some have interpreted this as this represents an act of kindness. Now remember in ancient times, they don't, didn't have kitchens like we do. Like you could turn on a switch and turn on the knob and fire comes out. They had to make fire to keep themselves warm, to cook, so they had coals to, to burn the fire. And if they ran out of coal, they ran out the, the fuel source for their fire. They can go to their neighbor say, hey, I ran out of coal, can, can, can you lend me some, some coal so that we can continue to burn fire and keep ourselves warm and cook? So if a neighbor were to do it, they would get their burning coals and put it on, in their basin. And how did they carry their fire? They carried it on their heads. So some interpret this as that the burning coals on their heads represented an act of kindness. And in these two contexts, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense to what Paul's saying. Don't take vengeance. Don't take it upon yourself to take revenge upon somebody who's persecuting you, your enemy, but instead show kindness. You should respond in kindness to them. Let God be the God of vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll take care of that. Jeremiah, he says, I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Let God take care of those things. Of vengeance. Act in Kindness. To wrap it up in verse 21, Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul uses this passive and active form of overcome. He's saying, don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. Goes back to the first passage we talked about, abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. Don't let evil overtake you. Don't let it dictate how you think, how you act, but overcome evil with good. Someone's giving you a hard time. Act in kindness. Do what is right before God. Let that shine in those contexts. In your workplace, when everybody else is behaving a certain way, don't fear of what people may think, oh, they're going to be judgmental of you. Just do what's right. You're not putting yourself on a pedestal. You're not saying, I'm better than all of you. But simply, you're going to stand up for what is right. How do we shine? What is our witness? Looking at these verses to wrap it up. For us to think about. Let this marinate in our thoughts. In those environments. Where we're around unbelievers. Where we're around people who are struggling with their faith. How can we contrast? How can we show the love of God that is contrasting to the the love of the world? Cling to what is good. First off, don't let go of that. Cling to what is good. Don't let that go. But then bless and pray for those who are persecuting you. Bless them. Someone's wrong, you say, God, please help them. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know their struggles. You don't know why. People don't just act wrongly in a vacuum. There's reasons. So pray for them. God, if there's something in their life, if there's some hurt or if there's some reason why they're confused, pray for them. Ask God would would bless them. Thirdly, think first. Be thoughtful and accountable for how you act. If you're active on social media and someone throws in this negative comment, don't just react and blast them, even though you want to. Someone wrongs you and gossips you, don't turn back and gossip against them as well. Think and be at peace at the best of your ability. Say, you know what? We may have different beliefs. We may have very, very different standards. You may think I'm hateful because I disagree with you. But I don't. I'm not hateful. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't care about you. I don't have to cause conflict. And lastly, let God's kindness and goodness over vengeance and evil Let God goodness overcome the evil in the situation. Let your witness be that light in those environments. Because people need to see this world is hurting and lost, and they need to see what is the remedy, what is the cure, what is the hope. And if we can't show that, if we can't be that with each other, when people walk through these doors and they go around and they say, what is Generations Church all about? We have to show them. We have to be this light for the world. Because I'm telling you, younger generation, you are a generation that your generation is growing up without the understanding of God. Most of us here grew up with some sense, unless you're born in another country, some sense of understanding of God. But your generation, that is being taken out of your generation. We need to be a contrast. We need to shine like a light does in darkness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And we are living in very difficult times. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to stand For what you declare is right and what is good. It's becoming even more difficult to be at peace with all people, Lord, because it just seems like we're in conflict with somebody about something. We look at the world around us and, Lord, it just seems like things are becoming more evil, more violent. Help us, Lord God, to cling your goodness cling to what is good and help us Lord to shine for you and let your goodness and your kindness come through even when we feel like we can't may your spirit work in us and through us we pray in Jesus name amen